Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Until an Opportune Time, we're looking at the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 and how he showed us the way to fight and overcome the enemy in our own lives. Let's get started. You know the phrase, timing is everything? It affirms the widely known truth that no matter how hard you work and how well-intentioned you may be, sometimes the timing is just not in your favor. Whether it's a job opportunity, a stock investment, or asking someone out on a date even, timing is everything. And sometimes timing ruins everything. Interestingly enough, Timing is a weapon of choice by the enemy. See, the devil doesn't just try to get you on a whim. He waits for the window of opportunity for when you seem the most susceptible to breakage. And he tried to do that with Jesus himself, as we'll see in today's text. I mean, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days with no food. It seems like a safe bet for any ordinary person to break. But Jesus is no ordinary anything. So the scene opens up in Luke chapter 4, and it's at the end of a 40-day fast, like I mentioned. But before he can break the fast, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tempted by the devil. Now, a period of 40 days in the Bible is almost always synonymous with a period of trial and testing. You'll find this again and again, beginning with Moses and and Noah, all the way through Elijah and Jonah. Now, simply put, temptation is anything that causes us to disobey God. Now, when we think temptation, we might automatically think of things like money, power, fame, lust, and other seductions, because on the surface, it does seem like the devil is tempting Jesus with things. But temptation isn't just about leaning in and indulging in whatever pleasure entices you. It's the effect it has on your relationship with God. So here, Satan is trying to crack Jesus's resolve to obey God. That is, to be the Messiah, the Savior he was sent to be. Instead of dying on a cross and becoming the atoning sacrifice for humanity, the devil is trying to get Jesus to thwart God's redemptive plan for the world. And you know, that's that's always been his plan. It's almost comical, like Pinky and the Brain comical for those of you who grew up with Animaniacs. What's the plan tonight, Brain? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. And maybe that reference dates me just a little bit, but in any case... What I mean to say is that trying to stop God's plan for salvation is the devil's daily MO ever since literally the beginning of time. Because Satan knows how humans operate. He knows our weaknesses and what buttons to push. It's no wonder the Israelites ended up wandering in the wilderness after the exodus. Or go back even further, why Adam and Eve failed the test in the garden. But as you know, Jesus succeeds where every other human before him had failed. Every account of the temptation of Jesus shows that it immediately follows his baptism. 
And temptation is like that. It often follows times of triumph or a spiritual awakening or a high. For Jesus, his baptism was definitely a high. It was the moment God's voice is heard through the heavens claiming Jesus as his own son. And we see this echoed in the transfiguration we talked about in the previous episode as well. So this is where the tempter begins with questioning this very claim. He says in Luke chapter 4 verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The temptation isn't the bread. Of course, Jesus is super hungry. The text makes a point of telling us so in verse verse 2 of the text. Now, this temptation isn't about questioning God's ability to provide you with your most basic needs. It's trying to get you to weaken your trust in God, especially when you are the most vulnerable. Like I said, timing. So what is the devil really asking? He's questioning Jesus's identity as the son of God. And this is the very foundation that Satan is attempting to dissolve. Christ's sonship, his identity. Moments before we had heard the heavens open up and say, Jesus is my son whom I love. And now the devil asks, but are you really? Because if you really are the son of God who is loved by the father as he claims, then why are you here in the middle of nowhere going through all this? Satan is trying to undermine Jesus' relationship with the Father and get Jesus to doubt God's love altogether. But despite the hunger he is definitely experiencing, Jesus counterattacks with the word of God. In verse 4, Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And his response is taken straight from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where Moses is reminding the people of Israel about their sojourn in the wilderness for 40 years. Why had God allowed that time of testing? And the verse says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that... Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is not to say our basic needs are not important. They are. But while we may live on bread, we don't live on bread alone. If living was just making sure we were well-fed and comfortable, what would differentiate us from every other animal, right? We truly live when we have a sense of purpose and a means to live out that purpose. But if we can credit the devil with one thing, it's persistence. So he comes in with the second temptation in verses 5 through 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So first, the devil tried to get Jesus to question his identity as the Son of God. Now he's attacking his authority as the Son of God. Essentially, he's mocking Jesus. What power 
do you have exactly to rid the world of sin? I own everything on this earth. These humans are putty in my hands. But I will happily hand them over to you. That's what you want, right? All for the low, low price of worshiping me. Now, why does Satan think that this would work? How deluded was he to think that Jesus would even consider this for a second? But if you think about it, it makes sense. If there were an easy way to purchase the souls of these people without having to suffer and bear the cross, why not take it? Because Jesus knew that giving in to this temptation would foil God's plans completely. There would still be the separation between God and all of humanity. So Jesus pulls from the Ten Commandments and answers in verse 8, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He makes the deliberate choice to reject any other authority but God and of any other way but the one paid for him by the Father. So that didn't work. So Satan takes one more last-ditch effort to sever the ties between God the Son and God the Father. He takes Jesus and has him stand on the highest point of the temple and says in verses 9 through 10, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan, Satan finally catches on. No matter what he throws at Jesus, Jesus will always hold on to the words of God. So then he does the only logical thing left to do. Find an ambiguous verse in scripture and put Jesus on the defensive. He is directly attacking the character of God. Now this is trademark Satan, twisting scripture since the beginning of time. This passage he quotes actually comes from Psalm 91, which is part of a prayer where the psalmist is declaring his unconditional love and trust in the Lord. And now the devil has contorted it to be 100% conditional. Hey, you say you have faith in God, then obviously he will do this for you. Hey, you've been a Christian for so many years. No doubt he will give you health, wealth, and prosperity if he really loves you, that is. Again, the devil is trying to plant seeds of doubt. But once again, Jesus counters with scripture, quoted properly. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Now, Massa in the Old Testament was the place where the Israelites in the time of Moses were crying out for water and then asking why God had even bothered to rescue them from Egypt to have them die of thirst in the wilderness. In doing this, they questioned God's character. They questioned God's faithfulness. Now, the Israelites had attacked God's character when they couldn't find water, but Jesus in his own set of very real and dire circumstances is refusing to do the same. What Jesus is getting at here is that no matter what our circumstances look like, they do not dictate God's love in our place as his children. And how does the story end? Verse 13 tells us, When the devil had finished all his tempting, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. 
Now, the thing you probably never really thought about with the story is that there were no eyewitnesses. The story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they weren't there. So we can safely assume that this story was told to them by Jesus himself. So why did Jesus tell the disciples the story? Why is he telling us the story? Now, the usual takeaway for us when we read about the temptation of Jesus is that in order for us to successfully ward off temptation, we need to know scripture because Jesus was able to thwart the devil because he was able to wield his weapon properly. Because when we don't know the word of God, people can easily use it against us and lead us astray. Now, all of that is true, but it's also much deeper than that. It's not really about how we can combat temptation because, as you know, we give in and fail so many times. What this passage tells us is that Jesus Christ alone was able to fully resist temptation and the worst of it because his relationship with God never faltered. He didn't once doubt God's faithfulness and divine plan for his life. He didn't once doubt his identity as the Son of God and as the promised Messiah. Jesus tells his disciples and us about his temptation in the wilderness to show that we, as followers and children of God, are guaranteed to face our own wilderness. But what will cause us to fall is not simply the things that the world offers us, it's the ways in which those things will try to come between us and God. There will be voices telling you to doubt who God is, his goodness, his love for you, his plans for you, his very existence. There will also be voices telling you to doubt if you've made the right choice in following Jesus in the first place. And those same voices will make you doubt who you are. Am I really a child of God? Am I really saved? Am I really treasured and loved? Am I good enough? Don't be swayed by those voices. That is just the collective voice of the enemy still trying to thwart God's redemptive work, even though that battle's already been fought and won. Amen. Despite this fact, the enemy is lurking and looking for that opportune time to cause us to stumble and fall. And he will keep at it for as long as we live. Don't give in. Don't give him an opportune time. Rather, use each moment you have to truly reflect on what would draw you closer in your relationship with God. What would strengthen your trust and love for God? And conversely, what would probably work against you and pull you away from God? And at all times, invoke the words of God to sustain you and ward off the enemy's advances. Let's pray. God, what great love you have shown us by sending your beloved son to die in our place. And what great devotion Christ has shown in that desert, knowing full well what lies ahead was a harrowing and painful path. The enemy took him to the highest place, yet he willingly came down to the lowest place. 
but even knowing all this, we tend to flail in our faithfulness to you. At the first sign of struggle, we voice our disappointment at your slowness to respond. But each time we do, we know that the devil is succeeding in deepening that divide between us, the divide you sent your own son to bridge. So we pray that you would lead us not into the temptation of straying from you and second-guessing who you are and who we are in you. Remind us that we are your beloved sons and daughters, no matter what the enemy says to convince us otherwise. Anytime the troubles of this life rage against us, teach us to be steadfast, just as you are steadfast. Because your love never fails, your promises never fail, your word never fails, and you never fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.